Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Um, I, felt, uh, I felt Christian's um, angst last week when he was preaching out of the book of Ephesians and uh, just sharing about the, the challenge that is before us as we go through this incredible book. And um, I'm going to say this kind of at the, the first time I'm preaching, but I'm gonna, this, this, this is true for every single Sunday that's coming up. I'm going to ask you guys to really come expectant and prepared to, to grapple with some very significant truths. Um, we've tried to condense the series into 11 weeks, but quite honestly, we could stop at every verse and preach uh, uh, one Sunday on every single verse in this book. This is a, this is a profound book. This is a, a complex book, and we are trusting by the Spirit of God to be able to impart to you um, profound truths in a simple way. So for the next 35 minutes, I haven't started yet, but in the next uh, 35 minutes, I'm going to ask you to, to really trust to engage with me as we get into the scriptures together. So let me pray for that, and then we can get stuck, uh, stuck in. So Father, we, we thank you so much. Um, just want to thank you for the, the financial uh, uh, situation, Lord, firstly, just what a, what a blessing it is, Lord God, that you have provided for us. And I pray, Lord God, as we anticipate uh, churches being planted from this church and nations being impacted, I pray, Father God, that you would stir our hearts to, to give, to give to you first and foremost, and uh, help us to steward those finances wisely. Lord, as we unpack this particular text today, I want to ask in the name of Jesus for your anointing on me, that you would help me to steer away from stuff which is um, not necessary Help me to focus in on the things that you want to say. And I pray for everyone in this room, Lord God, that we would hear what the Spirit of the Lord is wanting to say to us. Uh, Lord, we just, we're hungry for you. We're hungry to learn more about you. We're hungry to, to embrace all that we are in you. And I pray for that in today. I pray that we would be able to do that today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I've used this quote before, but I think it's um, incredibly, it wonderfully summarizes what I believe God wants to teach us uh, through this uh, series in the book of Ephesians. In the 17th century, a Puritan by the name of John Owen said this. He said, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life, listen to this, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. Essentially, what he's saying is Christians don't know who they are in Christ. Christians don't know what it means to be a citizen of heaven living here on earth. And that's the focus of what our series in Ephesians is all about. Uh, Specifically today, what we're going to learn and speak about is how do we obtain a revelation of what it means to be citizens in heaven? And that's kind of where we're heading this morning. Um, And so from our text, if you can look uh, or just read uh, uh, the, the... the a verse will be behind me. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul starts. He says this. He says, for this reason. So he's right there. He's pointing back to something we've already covered. And so let me just pause there for a moment and take two minutes. I have to set the context. We, we, we won't understand the, the, the verses we're going to look at today unless we are reminded of the context. Paul is pointing back to the first few verses when he says, for this very reason. And Christian did a a great job last week of of unpacking Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 14, which essentially is is Paul's um, exuberant praise. Paul is worshiping God. Paul is blessing God and praising God for for who God is and what God has done for us in Christ. 
And uh, as he explained to us last week, verse 3 to verse 14 in the original Greek is actually one single sentence. And it's Paul just, I, I want you to get the picture of Paul starting and finding himself just adding praise upon praise upon praise as to who God is and what he's done for us. Some of the uh, things that God has done, he's praising God the Father because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He's praising the Father because in Jesus, uh, he has chosen us to be holy and blameless. He's praising, uh, he's praising the Father because God has adopted us as his children through the work of Jesus. He's praising the Father because God has lavished his glorious grace upon us, which he's given us freely in the, in the Son he loves. He's praising the Father because God has, in Jesus, has, has given us the forgiveness of our sins. We've been redeemed. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, which is to bring everything under the rulership and authority of Jesus. And amazingly, we're invited to be part of that process of bringing everything under the rulership of Jesus. And then lastly, uh, Paul praises the Father because we experience the reality of what it means to be in Jesus because we are sealed or baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, those first few verses, th- verse three to verse 14, Paul is, is, is giving out exuberant praise. And now in verse 15, it changes. Paul changes from praising the Father to praying to the Father. Asking God, asking the, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, asking God for, for, for the impartation of the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can grasp and grab hold of the reality of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be citizens in heaven. And amazingly, verse 15 through to the end of, of the chapter, verse 23, is another single sentence. Ephesians chapter 1 is essentially two sentences. Just these, these long run-on sentences of Paul now lifting up exuberant prayer to the Father, saying, God, would you, would you help uh, your people understand what it means to be a citizen in heaven? That's what we're going to be studying this morning. And so let's read together from verse 15. For this reason, Paul writes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And verse 22 is just amazing. God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What a passage of scripture. What a task to be responsible to unpack this. And I just pray that, that, that I would do a job that is, would, would do justice to this incredible text. This is uh, one of four 
prayers that the commentators have called Paul's apostolic prayers. We find two of them in the book of Ephesians. We find one in the book of Philippians, one in the book of Colossians. And interestingly enough, even though the churches and the people that Paul is writing to are no doubt facing hardship and facing persecution and facing difficulty, amazingly, in these apostolic prayers, Paul never prays for a change in circumstances for the people that that he's writing to. We've just read this particular passage in Ephesians 1, but in Ephesians 3, in a few weeks, we're going to see that Paul prays that the church would have the power to grasp the extent or the magnitude of God's love. In Philippians 1, Paul prays that that their love for God would flourish, making Jesus more attractive. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul prays that that God's people would know his will in order to live a, a life worthy of the Lord. Each time, each instant, including the one that we're looking at, Paul is praying that God's people would grasp the reality of who they already are in Christ and the blessings that they already have at their disposal. That that you and I in Jesus have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that, that is found in him. Second Peter chapter one says, you and I have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Now, some of you are sitting there and saying, well, Steve, is it wrong to pray for material circumstances? Is it wrong to pray for deliverance from opposition? And I want to say, no, it's not. Jesus himself teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Paul goes on in 1 in Timothy chapter 2 to say, pray for the leaders over you so that you can live peaceable and, and, and godly life. So, friends, it's not wrong to pray for a change in your circumstances. But contrary to what you might think, that's not the most important prayer that you can pray. The most important prayer that you and I can pray, the most important truth that you and I can grasp is not a change in our material circumstances, but it's a change in our heart to understand who we are in Christ and what blessings we already have available to us. Because when we grasp that, when our hearts become filled with the, with the reality of what it means to be citizens in heaven, then irrespective of our circumstances, we can face every single situation with peace and with the consistency that God wants to, 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 to bring to us. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking today. Paul is praying for a revelation of what it means to be citizens in heaven. And there are three things that, we, that Paul uh, uh, kind of focuses on, and we're going to hopefully learn these lessons. Firstly, who should we pray for? Secondly, what should we pray for? And then thirdly, how, very practically, how does this prayer become a, become a reality? How do, we, how do we see the fruit of this prayer? How do, we, how do we walk into the fruit of the prayer that Paul prays? So let's run through those very quickly. Well, it's probably not going to be very quickly, but we'll... See what we can do. Number one, who should we pray for? Who should we pray for? Who, who, who are those that we should be crying out to God for to, to live and to walk into this revelation of what it means to be citizens in heaven? And, and as we're going to see later on, uh, it's, it's okay to pray this for ourselves. We'll get to that at the end. It's, it's okay to, to pray this prayer for ourselves. But essentially who Paul is praying for is he's praying for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, this is something that we should be praying for each other. Look at verse 15 and verse 16. Paul says, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
One of my uh, uh, friends who led a church in South Africa that I was a part of, Terry Kruger, most of you know him, uh, used to say, he had these sayings, which he always used to pull out every now and then, and, and one that he loved to say, which kind of has, have, has stuck with me most of my life. He's, he used to say this, he used to say, Jesus loves to save. Jesus loves, loves to save sinners from death, and he loves to save saints from mediocrity. I love that saying, I love it. And, and the latter part of Terry's saying is what Paul is getting at right here. This is not essentially a prayer for, for, the, for the sinners to find life in Jesus Christ. This is a prayer for the saints to be ripped out of and saved from mediocrity and apathy. This is a prayer that, that, that the believers in Jesus would become all that God desires them to be. I love, uh, I love verse 15 because it's a, it's a wonderful summary verse of what it means to be a Christian. Look at it with me. It says, uh, he starts off, Paul says, I, I've heard, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Friends, if you're visiting with us today and, and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, can I just take two minutes to speak to you specifically today and to, and to say to you that, that, that salvation is not found in the things that we do. Salvation is not found in, in getting our lives or, uh, in order and, and making sure that, that we've cleaned up our lives so that we might be uh, acceptable to God. Salvation is not about so much about what we do, but it's about who we put our faith in. And even sometimes our faith, sometimes as Christians, we can think that, that our faith, the quantity or the quality of our faith is what saves us. Can I say that's a lie as well? We must, be, we must remember that it's not the quality or the quantity of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith. Or should I say, it's the object of who our faith is in. Our faith is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus said, it is done on the cross, he said, the work is finished. Nothing needs to be added. You simply need to put your faith in me. That's what it means to be a Christian to have faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul's definition of a Christian continues if you read, carry on reading verse 15. He says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. And then he says, and your love for all the saints. So can I say this? Can I say, while faith is primary, faith comes first. Practical outworking is also necessary. There's an overflow to the faith. There's a consequence to the faith. There's a fruit that, that, that is manifest because of the faith that we place in, in, in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes into my heart and changes my life, that love that I've received overflows and it's manifest in love towards one another. One of the great parables that Jesus taught uh, you know, his disciples was, freely you've received, freely give. And, and I, before I even studied this passage, I found myself praying that these last few weeks. Simply praying, God, God, help me not just to be a taker. Help me to be a giver. The love that I've received, help me to love others. The mercy I've received, help me to be merciful to others. The patience that you pour out in my life, help me to be patient with others. The grace that I, I, I have all over my life because of you, God, help me to extend that grace to others. It's the love, faith in the Lord Jesus and the love that you have for not just your favorite saints, not just your friends. And saints, by the way, are not, are not um, saints are all of us. I don't want to get down that road. Saints are all of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. 
So Paul is saying it's the love that you have for all of the saints, even those who, who irk you the wrong way, even those who irritate you, even those who, who frustrate you, even those who say things that are hurtful. It's this love that we have for all of the saints. And that love, and verse 16, the, the faith in Jesus, the love for the saints, how is that manifest? Look at verse 16. It's manifest through, through thanksgiving and through prayer. That's one of the great ways that we can show love for one another is through thanksgiving and through prayer. I, I found this incredible definition of prayer this week. Uh, it says this, prayer is rebellion. Prayer is rebellion. Prayer is rebellion against the status quo. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is completely abnormal. Prayer looks at situations and says, what we see, what we're dealing with, that's abnormal. And we're not going to settle for what is abnormal. We're going to rise up in rebellion and trust for the power of God to transform what is abnormal and return it to God's normal. Can I say, friends, sometimes when you and I are going through difficult situations, when we start to forget who we are in Christ... Sometimes it's difficult for us to pray for ourselves, isn't it? That's when we need one another to fight for us. Not to fight with us, but to fight for us. To gather together and to, and to cry out to the Lord on, on each other's behalf. That's the essence of what Paul is getting at. Who should we pray for? We should be praying for, no, for one another. Secondly, moving right along, what should we pray for? You guys tracking with me so far? We're going to get into some really meaty stuff right now, so stay engaged as best as you can. Um, what should we pray for? What, how, what, are, what is the essence of what we should pray for so that we can receive this revelation of what it means to be citizens in heaven? Look with me at verse 18. Paul starts, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That word enlightened in the Greek means to, to, to shine light on or to expose or, or, or to bring out into the open. And, and even though Paul never had cameras back in the day, uh, um, this is not exactly what he was meaning, but this is the best modern um, uh, illustration I can think of. Think of a camera shutter, uh, a camera lens that, that, that opens for a moment and then light rushes through that lens and, and, and uh, I don't fully understand how cameras work, but I imagine that the light uh, uh, impacts the, the film and an image of what has come through the shutter is now, is now on the film. Is that a good definition of how cameras work? Well, that's what Paul is saying, that, he, that we need to pray for our hearts to do that, for our hearts to be opened up, for our hearts to be exposed, for the, for the shutter or the lens in our hearts to be opened up so that the light of the Holy Spirit can, can shine on our hearts and that a certain image can be impressed upon our hearts. And, and there are three things, there are three images that Paul wants to, to, to impart or wants to trust that the Holy Spirit has imparted onto our hearts. Let's look at those together. Firstly, verse 18, Paul, Paul is praying that we would know the hope to which he has called you. That we would know the hope to which he has called you. Now, this, I don't want to get too technical, but I want to say that most translations get, get this a little bit wrong. The NIV says, uh, it says exactly that, to know the hope to which he has called you. And, and that gives the impression or the appearance that, that we have hope because we have a calling in God. But that's not what the original Greek, that's not what Paul is getting at. The New American Standard translates it better. He says that you would know the hope of God's calling. 
So here's the thing I want you to grab. We shouldn't be having hope in the fact that we have a calling in God. We should be full of hope because we are called by God. Do you see the difference? From before the beginning of time, you and I have been called by God for a time such as this. And that is the thing that should be giving us hope. That's the reality that Paul is trying for us to understand. Hope in the Bible is is not some doubtful desire that something may or may not happen. You know, someone would ask me, what are you doing next summer? You know, I might say, we're not planning to do this, but I might say, oh, you know, I'm I'm hoping to go and do a missions trip in Africa. But I'm not really sure if it's going to happen. That's how we understand the word hope. But but hope in the biblical sense is is an expectation and an anticipation of something that we are absolutely sure is going to come to pass. So imagine yourself as a child on December 24th, climbing into bed, and you know with absolute certainty that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and open gifts. That's the kind of hope that the Bible is speaking about. It's, it hasn't been realized yet, but it's going to happen. We are absolutely sure about it. And friends, the, the point of all of this, the point of having this hope is that we need to understand the incredible assurance and the incredible boldness and the incredible certainty that comes with being called by God to be his sons. If you look at, if, uh, uh, if you have a Bible, look at Ephesians uh, uh, chapter one, verse, verse four, it says, for he chose us, for God chose us, or he called us in him before the creation of the world. That's remarkable. Uh, the way I, I interpret that verse is I, I can see God knowing and, and waiting with eager anticipation for you to be born. Waiting with eager anticipation for you to come into this world so that he can begin to call you and so that you can respond to his calling and so that he can begin to shape you into the image of his son. There is incredible assurance and incredible hope that should fill our hearts when we understand that we are called by God to be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. You have been fused, you and I have been fused, inseparably fused into Jesus. And Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 says, you are in Jesus and Jesus is in God. That's how assured and secure your salvation is. You are in Jesus and Jesus is in God. That should fill us with incredible hope. It fills me with an understanding of the fact that God has saved me by absolute grace and grace alone. I look at myself and I think of the, the junk that is still in me, the, the insecurities and the, and the fears that are still in me. And I realize that that gives me incredible hope knowing that God hasn't saved me because I'm righteous in some way, but he saved me simply because of his goodness and grace. And you know what else? It gives me hope for every single person I come into contact with. People I meet in the store, people I meet at school, people I meet on the bus, they are equally able to be saved by God, not because of by virtue of who they are, but by grace and grace alone. That's the hope that we have in him. Second image that Paul wants to trust that the Holy Spirit would impress on our hearts is this in verse 18. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And again, this is a verse that can be understood in two different ways. 
I want you to track with me on this because this is important. And, and, and there is enough argument in Scripture for both angles to be accepted. His, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints could either be taken that God has an inheritance for us, or it could be taken that we are God's inheritance. And I want to focus on the second one. Let me just mention the first one. Christian did a great job last week of helping us understand that God has an inheritance for us. He does. The Bible teaches that. Um, It's a little mysterious as to what that inheritance looks like. But I will say this. It's It's a heavenly inheritance, a heavenly reward that we're able to live in and to experience to some degree here on earth. It's, it's, I, I, I term God's inheritance greater intimacy with Jesus, greater closeness with Jesus, greater impact, uh, Jesus enabling me to have greater impact for him for the kingdom. That's something of how, what I understand his inheritance to be. But the one I want to focus on this morning is not only that God has an inheritance for us, but that this is amazing, that we are God's inheritance, We are God's treasured possession. I want you to think about someone, and I'm sure you've probably all got someone like this in your life, a a spouse, a best friend, a a parent, someone that you find it incredibly difficult to buy a gift for. Can can you think of that person? Christmas comes or their birthday comes and you are racking your brains. I don't know what to buy this person. Your desire in buying them the gift is, is so that they would open the gift and go, oh my goodness. This is amazing. That's the reaction you want. But they're the kind of people it's impossible to elicit that reaction from because they either have everything or they just don't want very much. (laughs) As difficult as it is for that to buy a gift for that person, I want you to think about this. Now imagine buying a gift for Bill Gates. Imagine buying a gift. Imagine trying to think about what you can buy Bill Gates for Christmas so that he can open up and go, oh my goodness, I don't have one of these. This is, this is incredible. I mean, probably the Declaration of Independence, perhaps, or you know, Abraham Lincoln's top hat, maybe, or something, something like that, where that he'll be like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to treasure this forever. Well, you know what the Bible teaches? We're that to God. That's who we are to God. His treasured possession. Something that takes his breath away when he looks at us. And he says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm going to treasure them forever. The Bible says that we are, we are God's chosen or God's called people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong. Sorry, this is good news. This is not sad. This is good news. <laughs> a people that belong to God. That's who we are. That's who we are to God. And, and for me, verse 23 emphasizes this truth even more. Look at verse 23 with me. It says this. This is an incredibly mysterious verse. But it says, verse 23 says, We are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, now don't for a moment think that Jesus is incomplete without us. Don't for a moment think that that God had to create us because he was somehow incomplete without a creation. But mysteriously, I don't understand, mysteriously, somehow Jesus has chosen to, to link himself with us 
in a way that we actually do bring some level of completion to him. Like a, like, just, like a body need, just like a head needs a body. Just like a bridegroom needs a bride. We complete Jesus in that way. Just like God the Father filled the Old Testament temple with his glory and, and chose to display his glory to the world through the Old Testament temple, so God fills us with the fullness of Jesus so that we can be those that would display the glory of God to the world around us. Friends, that's the secret of this Christian life is knowing that we are fused. We are the bride to Jesus who is our bridegroom. We are, he is, you know, he is the the, the vine. We are, sorry, I'm getting it wrong. He is the vine, we are the branches. Is that right? Help me, yes. (laughs) I do know my Bible, I promise. He, He is the vine, we are the branches. That's the essence, that's the secret. If there's a secret to this Christian life, that's it. Being, being fused to Jesus Christ. And Paul is praying that we would know this reality. Thirdly, moving on, we're nearly finished. Thirdly, verse 19, the third image that that Paul wants to trust that the Spirit of God would impress on our hearts is this, verse 19, and that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is the only one of the three that Paul takes a little bit of time to unpack. And so let me just read what Paul says for the sake of time. He says in verse 20, he says, this power or that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ and he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be the head of everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so just for the sake of time, allow me just to highlight a couple of uh, truths out of this. Firstly, God's great power is revealed to us by Jesus being raised from the dead. We see that in verse 20. Paul carries on in verse 20, not only is God's power revealed to us by God raising Jesus from the dead, but he's, not a, he's seated Jesus at his right hand to rule over, the, over all of the universe. In verse 21, he tells us that God's great power is revealed because Jesus has conquered every worldly and every demonic authority and rule. And Jesus' name is the name that is above every other name. And then the one I just want to focus on a little bit is this incredible truth out of verse 22, that God's great power is revealed by Jesus ruling over everything on behalf of his people. I I feel like, um, I taught on this last year as we started the book of Acts, but I feel like this is a truth that that I'm still grappling with and I I want us to learn even more. What, What does the lordship of Jesus Christ mean? The, the, the fact Paul is saying that that Jesus rules over everything for us. Jesus rules over everything for us. Every event in your life, every event in your life, God has used to bring about his plan and his purpose. He rules over everything for us. I want to take a moment to, to illustrate this by by, by speaking about one series of events that brought Debs and I here to, church in, to Chicago to plant church in the city. 
Every single person sitting in this room, you have hundreds of stories like the one I'm going to tell today. Hundreds of stories of of different circumstances and events and people meeting different people and you making, at the time, seemingly insignificant life decisions. And the point I'm trying to make in all of this is that God ruled over every one of those decisions and he rules over those things in power for us so that he can achieve his purposes. We celebrate our 10th birthday as a church in May this year. And and 10 years ago, 2004, Debs and I came to Chicago and and one of the opportunities was an open door through a friend of a friend that we had, Mike and Mark Nelson, uh, two brothers who are here today, uh, were were guys who came into the city and we were able to, to, part of us coming to Chicago was, was the door that they had opened through praying and through standing in faith for God to plant a church in downtown Chicago. We had a conversation with them in April 2004 and eventually came here in, 2000, in May 2004. Mark and Mark came to Chicago because they met a doctor uh, uh, in Austin, Texas, a doctor who was from Chicago, a, a doctor who opened the door for them to come into the city. And Mark was telling me, saying yesterday, this doctor who unfortunately passed away in 2006, I think it was, was one of the most uh, significant, this is going to blow your mind away, he was one of the most significant financial donors to the school. And, and he, had, he had no idea about church in the city, but he's one of the most significant financial donors to the school. Mark and Mark met this doctor in, in Austin, Texas. This doctor was in Austin, Texas, driving down the side of the street and met up with Mark and Mark, who were selling silverware on the side of the street in Austin, Texas. Mike and Mark were selling silverware in Austin, Texas because their mother had been determined for some reason, didn't know why, she was determined to make sure that they were able to get American citizenship. Mike and Mark's mother was determined to get them American citizenship because they were born in the States. Mike and Mark were born in the States because their father came to University of Michigan in the late 70s to finish his dentistry degree. The point of the story is, if you want to plant a church, find someone who's finishing his dentistry degree in the University of Michigan. No, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this, is God, every single one of those seemingly insignificant moments, God is ruling over everything for his church. Friends, church in the city is not planted because of some idea that Debs and I dreamed up with in the middle of the night. Church in the city is not here today because elders and deacons and saints, all of whom are on the A team, there's no A and B team. Church in the city is not here because you had a good idea to come and be part of this church. As much as we love and appreciate and need the fellowship of the body, church in the city is here because God has a plan and a purpose through this church to impact the nations. And friends, I want you to see that for your own lives too. That God rules over every situation in your life for his kingdom to be able to be manifest in and through you. Romans 8.28, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's finish up. Thirdly, how does this prayer become a reality? How do we, how do we walk into the reality of what it means to be citizens of heaven here on earth? Look at verse 17 with me. And with this, we're going to end. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Number one, the first thing we need to do to make this a reality is that we need to persist in prayer. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, I keep asking. I keep asking that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Nothing tempers prayer like resignation. The belief that the abnormal is what is normal. The belief that God is not able to change situations and circumstances. I want to say, friends, let's persist in prayer. Let's persist praying these things over ourselves. Let's persist praying these things over one another. Secondly, and this is what I started off with, let's, secondly, pray these prayers or pray Paul's prayer over yourself. Persistently carry on praying this prayer over yourself. Pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray that God would enable you to know the hope of being called by him. Pray that God would help you understand what it means to be his glorious inheritance. Pray that you would understand the incomparably great power that we have as a consequence of being in Jesus. Pray these realities over you. But can I say this, friends? When the Bible speaks about knowledge, it's not speaking about it in the context of information. It's speaking about it in the context of transformation. God wants knowledge to change us. God wants knowledge to transform us. And so I'm going to ask you all in the next week or two to do this for me. I want you to find 10 minutes or half an hour or however much time you have to sit down with a piece of paper or a journal and ask yourself this question. If I were to know these truths to the very depths of my being, if I were to know Jesus in the fullness If I were to know that I'm called and know that I'm an inheritance and know the power, how would that change my life? I want you to ask yourself that question. You know why? Because that's what Paul deals with in the rest of Ephesians. Paul takes three chapters to to ground us in the reality of who we are in Christ so that we can understand how citizens of heaven are meant to live here on earth. Ask yourself the question this week, how will knowing Jesus to this extent impact my relationships? How will knowing Jesus to this extent impact my work ethic? How will knowing Jesus to this extent impact the way that I give financially? How will knowing Jesus to this extent impact my ability to to preach the gospel to unbelievers? Write these things down so that we can, so we know that God, how God wants to change us and transform us. Friends, transfer, as I said, change is rooted in understanding who Jesus is and therefore who we are in him. And then lastly, pray, firstly, persist in prayer. Secondly, pray this for yourself. And then lastly, I want to say, pray this for other people. Go to war on behalf of people that you are sitting near, near to today. Look around the room. Go to war on their behalf. Pray that they, that, they, that they would grasp the reality of what it means to be in Christ. This can be, again, something very practical. I, I don't have it with me, but I, I carry with me a little book about this big. And most of your names are in there. It's a, and I'm, I'm saying it for this, to show you how practical this is. When I, when I pray with somebody, when I have coffee with somebody, when I receive an email from someone, when I hear something about someone from someone else, 
some situation that you're struggling with, some financial concern, some health issue, some opposition that you're facing, your name and that situation goes into this little black book. And I carry that book around me and I pray into those situations. But here's the key. Don't just pray for a change in your friend's circumstances. Pray that they would have a revelation of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Pray that they would grasp the reality of what it means to be in Christ. Father, we just come before you as we wrap things up. Just so desperate for this sermon, Lord, not just to be a sermon, but I pray, Father, for truth to impact my heart and the heart of those who've heard me speak this morning, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, for transformed lives from within. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. Lord, we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need our hearts to be enlightened. And I pray right now, Lord, by your spirit, that you would cause the shutters of our heart to open up so that your light can shine these truths deep into our being. Father, I pray this just wouldn't be an exchange of information. Lord, I'm, I'm trusting for change and transformation to take place in us all as we grapple and study these incredible truths. Thank you, Father, that we are your inheritance. Thank you that, that we take your breath away. I pray, Father, that if that truth is difficult for, for some to comprehend, Lord, today, let it sink, I pray, sink deep into their hearts. That they would know, that they would know that they are loved and adored by you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Just before Dave comes up, I want to just ask if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've heard the things I've been speaking on and you've been like, that's great, but, but I don't even know. I, I, I'm not in relationship with God. I want to say to you, remember what I said. Salvation is not by works. It's by faith in what Jesus has done. It's simply crying out, saying, God, I want to become your child. Jesus I receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Right now, if that's where you're at, you're saying, God, I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. Right now, where you're at, where you are seated, pray that prayer. Father, I want to be your child. Jesus, I receive you into my heart. I receive the gift, your free gift of salvation. I don't fully understand this, Jesus, but I, but I, but I ask that you come into my heart as my Lord and as my Savior. Father, if anyone prayed that prayer this morning, I pray that you would seal that decision in their hearts in Jesus' name. Just before Dave comes up, if you did pray that prayer, Dave's gonna invite the ministry team to come forward. Can I ask that you come, come forward, introduce yourself to one of the ministry team. It will be a delight and a privilege just to get to know you, to introduce ourselves to you, and then to be able to pray with you. Dave? Let's stand together and...
just thank the Lord and thank Steve as well for this message today. I just think it's been very significant. Thank you so much, Steve. And oh, there's so much going on in my heart just listening to that. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are the same. Um, let's just close our eyes for one more minute. Sorry, this is going long. But Father, we don't want to leave here today, Lord, without just responding and in our hearts, just giving this opportunity, Lord, to reveal these things to us. Lord, that we are not an accident. We're not in Chicago by accident. We're not in this church by accident. Father, we thank you and we recognize, Lord, you, the sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, has placed us here and has called us here and has a plan and a purpose for our, each of our individual lives. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The ministry team will be coming up if you could now. But um, if there's any of these topics that, that you just want to stand and pray with someone about these things, I encourage you to come and talk to someone, come and pray with someone. Um, this is a big morning, guys. There's a lot that God is ministering to us this morning. Um, go and listen to this message online if you can. Again, even there's a lot of truth in here that we need to grasp. Amen. Um, as we were praying this morning, I also just had the impression, I'll, I'll be up here ready to pray. Um, Lord wants to uh, heal you if you're having troubles with sleeping. Um, there's restlessness and bad dreams that, that just torment you at night. I just feel I wanted to pray for that for you as well. Um, but for everyone else, uh, have an amazing day. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming. And amen.